important things about autism is actually showing that it's it's not just more it's cis insensitive intelligent men you know i mean one of the reasons why i got so late diagnosed was because that's all that we see of autism that's all that we think of it as and it's important um as much as you can to be proud of your diversities whether that's autism you know queer identities or, or something else it's important that you're loud and proud you need to show that it's a superpower you need to demonstrate to people that it's not just this one idea that you see on tv and it, it helps other people feel at home hello there my name is kit rackley my pronouns are they them and this is coffee and geography The aim of the show is to get to know, explore and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers and if they don't exactly, we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So pour your favourite brew, get cosy and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPot. Off we go. Hi everybody, welcome to Coffee and Geography and we are coming towards the end of the season but you know it's that kind of thing where you always you save the best to the last and I'm joined by someone who is the best and that is Ro Proctor. It's lovely to see you Ro. Hi Kit, it's lovely to be on here, thank you so much. Yeah, Ro and I, it's another example of like two people that actually haven't physically met and the thing that connects us is the University of East Anglia, so we've done a bits and bobs through the UEA and there's something else, I'm going to give an early plug because we did another podcast chat, didn't we? Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, and that was uh, a podcast chat for Esther Lemons. Hi Esther, we love you, we miss you. Um, and her Fifty Shades of Gender, I almost said it, I almost said the wrong one. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Gender podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it was all about um, being being LGBTQ individuals and gender diverse individuals at university and at higher education. And it was for a project for my work. So go and check that out. I'll put the link in the description. Yes, right. do it. <laughs> yeah, it's worth listen. Right, I'm going to introduce you now. So Ro is an autistic, non-binary, pansexual, environmental scientist. So I, that's it. That's the intro. It's That's just like <laughs> epic. But I'll, I'll continue. I'll continue. <laughs> Ro likes to be as loud as they can be about their diversities because it helps other people to feel welcome in these sciences. And Ro, you said here, it helps to break down the idea of a geographer as a bonkers old man with maps and binoculars. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add elbow patches to that as well. <laughs> uh, uh, Ro works with two organizations in Norwich to break down these monochromatic barriers to improve accessibility to science. Now, you've, you've said a little bit more in your, in your intro, but I, we'll pause it there. And yeah, just a monochromatic. I think that's the first time I've ever used that word on this podcast. So, yeah. Thank you. Breaking down. So, what do you what do you mean by breaking down monochromatic barriers? Well, I think so. Right. So, university for me, I did environmental sciences, and I had a bunch of friends in geography, and they were kind of like the rivalry degrees. Like to me, <laughs> I thought environmental sciences because it had science in it. I was like, oh, they're the smart ones. You know, that's the winning team, and geographers <laughs> are just like people that colour in and, and look at maps all day, right? And like in my final year, I essentially, as I like to call it, went to the dark side and switched completely to geography. And I realised, no, this is kind of where all the fun's at. And actually, 
I've missed out on like two years of joy just because I had like a very simple stereotypical view of geography. So I kind of want to break that down for the people to stop them missing <laughs> out too. I, I, you know, I love how we're drilling down here because, of course, there's the class as a classic geography versus history kind of right. debate and fierce rivalry. And mm. um, I, I made fun in the previous episode when I had a, I don't, I, I survived it. I'm here. I, I'm alive. Um, a panel discussion with ex students, and one mm-hmm. of them went to uh, end up going to Cambridge to study history, even though I took took him to America. Tom, uh, never going to let him live that down. So of course we're, we're we're having that banter about how he's gone to the dark side and stuff like that but yeah i never really thought about environmental science and geography being pitched against each other but i get it because i did my degree at uea environmental Mm -hmm. science like you did but i ended up being a geography teacher and i found so much more color right so that makes total sense i loved my environmental science degree i loved it but Mm -hmm. geography has allowed me to make more connections and put it to use more and see it more in a human point of view human kind of humanity to it yeah right yeah it's very much kind of like a human connected subject isn't it i think environmental science is is typically i don't know maybe even more aloof because it is kind of (laughs) science-based whereas geography is kind of takes the social sciences elements um typically but then it's got like a whole level of smartness um to it that i never even appreciated i've got a friend who did geography who's now working for like some super super secretive part of the government she's had to sign like this weird waiver let me just check out connection is secure yeah okay no no one is listening in i think we're good no gov- <laughs> no government okay continue continue we're safe okay. honestly she had to do like this whole set of background checks but she's like um producing maps for the government for like different war zones across the world and whatnot and that's all wow. from geography and again you would never think that would you oh that sounds pretty James Jane Bond. Right. Jamie Bond. I'm going for a gender neutral term. Jamie Bond. Jamie, Jamie's quite <laughs> a new, gender neutral Yeah, safe point. Yeah, uh, so let me do the second half of your intro now because it leads off very, very well uh, with what mm-hmm. you've just been saying. So the second half of your intro, you said uh, that you feel geography is integrated into everything we do, meaning it can be sued in any direction, you know, and it's something that you studied as they have recently graduated with a BSc in environmental science with a year in industry. Woo. Mm-hmm. And you've, you entered two internship roles in scientific communication and marketing, and one which you are involved with the Youth STEM Award, which, which definitely people should look up, and the other at the Norwich Science Festival. And hope we'll get a little bit of a, a chat about that. And Ro has used their degree to understand how theme parks are made up and what makes them so successful. And we'll bank that one, and we'll come back to that a bit later. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of um, social media and Twitter dis- uh, discourse at the moment about STEM or or STEAM because you know putting the arts in there as well. Mm-hmm. There is a growing feeling, and I want your opinion on this, Row, that geography is a STEM subject because I think it should be a STEM subject. I've never not considered it. I that is wow. Okay, so I'm intrigued to know why why it wouldn't be considered as a STEM subject because science for me encompasses. Um, you know, obviously you've got your physics, your chemistry, your biology. I would put that under the science hat, but then environmental sciences and geography really go hand in hand. But I think because of the misconceptions about geography being just a colouring in thing, <laughs> we haven't considered it a science, have we? But it really should be. Obviously, there's a lot of physical, you've got your physical processes, of course, that's all science, you know, easy that one. But of course, mm-hmm. the human geography, there's lots of science. You've got social sciences, behavior sciences, economic sciences, all that kind of stuff. So I think the S is solid. Technology. Well, 
what do we propose to a lot of geographical problems and issues, a lot of solutions that are technology-based? Right. How technology causes geographical issues and problems. What about engineering? I, I can think of a few. Can you think of any engineering oh, links to geography? A hundred percent. I mean, something that I learned way back in school was things like coastal erosion, you know, when Ooh, we had to yeah. like do install these big rocks at the beach to protect <laughs> the beach and houses and livelihoods. Like, I'm not being funny, but a geographer needs to think of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, maths. So uh, that's obvious because, again, you've, you know, the processes that you need to bear in mind, um, demographic transition model. I don't know if you remember that, right? You know, there's a lot of maths in that with the working right. out the working out the uh, natural increase and natural decrease and all that kind of stuff. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's simple, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. And the, the tricky one will be the final because there's an extra M nowadays, which is medicine. Ooh. But then again... I can. I, I've got something in my head. Do you? Can you think of any link between geography and the medical prof- or medicine? I mean, personally, I think we need to understand population demographics to know kind of hospital demands. Uh, I mean, especially with the COVID pandemic right now, obviously we yeah. need to understand, you know, our vulnerable populations, our elderly populations, to understand um, kind of how much support is needed in the hospitals. That's that's the first thing that comes to my mind. What are you thinking? Excellent. Yeah. And for me, it's like if you drill down like where. So two things in, in from my point of view, and that is it within from within nature. One, the origin mm-hmm. of disease and pathogens and vectors and understanding all that. You know, we had to have understood where COVID has come from, for example, before we've been able to develop, say, a vaccine. But of course, where have all of our medicines uh, come from to start with they come from the natural world there we go you know and that is why if we destroy our environment we could be destroying a potential cure for cancer completely so or something that can reverse a disease like multiple sclerosis which which is my, my mother-in-law um died of complications to ms so you know i'm being serious mm. here you know we destroy our environment we destroy ways of potentially protecting ourselves as well and that's where the medicine comes in so in my opinion oh, so yeah so. everybody that's it podcast over thanks for listening um <laughs> this has been a special episode about why you should classify geography as a stem subject um keep jogging <laughs> <laughs> yeah when you break it down into that that's insane isn't it how you can really put it into every category I mean, I feel like I've already just had my mind reevaluated and reblown <laughs> by geography. <laughs> it's amazing how that continues to do that. So, you know, even me, who's been a teacher for so long in it and still within the a pest of a teaching community, um, it's they still surprise you and you learn. And mm-hmm. that's the beauty of a beauty of it is that the, the world is so diverse, so precious, so deep, so nuanced, so everything that you learn stuff all the time. So mm-hmm. let's move on and talk about you then, Ro, because that you are a beautiful embodiment of exactly that right <laughs> is learning about new things and diversity and intersectionality just here and and this is as i say this has been a chat i've been looking forward to a long time so first of all let's start with our drinks then it's quite late at night at the moment so i don't know if you've got a hot drink in front of you because it's uh, we're recording this in the in the september heat wave everybody so uh, mm. it's been the third consecutive day of over 28 degrees celsius here in the east of england so me and ro both located in the same part of the world we're pretty warm so i don't know if you've got tea or coffee with you at the moment ro um i have got a refillable water bottle full of water 
Very sensible. <laughs> Very plain. I was thinking something alcoholic. I thought maybe I'll treat myself, you know, loosen myself up a bit for the podcast. Not that I bloody <laughs> need it. But I thought, yeah, I take about half a can of beer and that's it. That's me sorted. And anything hot. Only mothers and fathers drink hot drinks in the summer holiday. Like, you know what I mean? People who drink hot drinks in the heat waves. I don't get it. I'm showing my age. <laughs> What have you got uh, to drink? <laughs> I, 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 what I usually do is that I usually go for the, the placebo effect of, of a decaffeinated either tea or coffee. Uh-huh. At this time Uh-oh. of day. <laughs> uh, but I, what I did drink, I did drink some chilled red wine for dinner. Because okay. we, we, we were out in the garden, we used the fire pit and, and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, we, my wife and I, we drank some lovely chilled red wine from our, uh, a friend of ours who runs... I don't know what you call it. They're, they're a wine reseller. Are they, is he a wine connoisseur? I'm not quite sure. But anyway, <laughs> but Tom, we're going to give Tom a shout out. Hi, Tom. And Thanks, his Tom. wonderful um, wife, Siridarshini, who's uh, good friend, friends of ours. And Tom supplies us with some wonderful wine. Um, oh. And we had some chilled red. So, uh, yeah. So okay. there you go. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> yeah. I've got to get Tom on one day, actually. He can talk a lot about the geography of wine, I think. Right. <laughs> You're in Norwich at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, Av, is is that where you were born and bred and raised, or have you are you in some other part of the world? So, I grew up in Hampshire, which is the south of the UK. Um, so, specifically, somewhere between Southampton and Bournemouth. I was sat bang in the New Forest, and about Ooh. ten minutes away from a beach, which is wonderful. I think that is probably partly to blame one for <laughs> this lovely accent that I have, um, <laughs> and two for my such love of nature. Ah, oh, so right. So, what kind of landscapes do we have? So, for people who don't know the UK very, very well, maybe because they're they're listening from elsewhere, how would you describe the diversity of the landscape that therefore in that part of the world that you're from? Because, as you said, you've got the coast, you've got the New Forest, you've got those two major coastal settlements as well. So, describe to us a bit like the mosaic, what you can see. Oh gosh, I mean, if we so if we were to go down to the beach, it's not one of them lovely exotic beaches with the sand and the rolling waves. It's very cold, salty water, uh, very rocky, pebbly beach. Um, it's <laughs> definitely lots of big eroding cliffs. I mean, you know, I, I've lived there for at least 10 years of my life and there's, I don't know, at least about 50% of the cliff face has gone in some places, which is just insane. Um, We have a row of beach huts, which is lovely. Lots of surfers, lots of big belly dads sunbathing. (laughs) Um, And then if we were to go down to the forest, it's kind of quite marshlands, quite peaky, quite boggy sometimes, quite lots of rolling hills, lots of ponies. Um, Sometimes you see some cows as well, lots of conifer trees. Um, Very quiet, very secluded and very easy to get lost in there too. Mm. I mean, there's so much geography. We could do a whole entire episode just on the on the Hampshire coast itself. I mean, of course, and then you can start talking about, you know, going across to the Isle of Wight and looking all that, mm-hmm. you know, that in itself. Uh, yeah. And then you only don't have to go too far north before you're in places like Reading. And yeah, I mean, seriously, it's it's a part of the world, which is, I haven't spent as much time down there as I, as I wish I could have done, but I've definitely done the whole, um, just a little bit further. I don't know if I should say this. I don't know if it will upset you as someone from Hampshire, but I, I have done the whole Dorset thing. Oh, I, I mean, I literally live on the Hampshire-Dorset border, so I'm oh, not upset. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for those of you who um, who want to know, where it's, if you just look up Swanage Bay and mm. Paul Harbour in Dorset, right, that is like classic geography, classic geology. In fact, 
go on, do it now. If if you're if you're listening to this and you've got your phone with you, just yes. go onto Google Maps and just search for Swanage. And I've got a question for you, right? Which part of Swanage and that area is the more resistant harder rock, and which part of it is the least resistant soft rock? I bet you can tell from just looking. Yeah. I hope you're not asking me because this is knowledge that I don't remember. <laughs> and for those geography students out there, how did the little sea form? Right. Okay. I'm, I'm now I'm going back to year eight geography now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So you've got me going now. Uh-oh. Right. <laughs> so um, how much how much of the Hampshire Dorset have identity have you brought with you to to Norfolk then? So so when you're hanging out with your friends and, and whatnot here at UEA and you've been, has there been anything like quintessentially Hampshire that's come out or, or has there been something that you've identified with here in Norfolk that feels like Ooh. home or...? I mean, I think so. Hampshire is very much, um, it's very white. Um, it's very right wing. Um, there's a lot of like straight cis people. There's not too much diversity down south. So I think the best thing about being in Norwich, which is a big, colourful, diverse city, is that I definitely do feel at home. Oh. Um, but at the same time, with this lovely southern accent that I do have, I do sometimes stand out a little bit like a sore thumb. Um, and occasionally I try and drop in some slang terms just so my friends think I'm really cool, but they just, it makes it worse, honestly. I mean, if you kind of say in it, bruv, in this accent, it doesn't work. I've, I've had the pool of Norfolk as well. You know, I feel so much more, uh, you know, it's my kind of place, my kind of people around here, mm-hmm. you know, um, it wasn't until I got out here in Norfolk where I felt a little bit more, there was more in terms of, especially especially with gender diversity, without a shadow of a doubt. So, um, but university, you know, university places and university towns kind of are, are quite like that. Mm. Everyone comes in from different locations. I don't know about you, but I've, I've certainly found that I've, I've learned a lot more as well. I think, you know, coming mm. from a place where it is very monocultured, you kind of are brought up in a very uh, narrow mindset, you know. If you mm. see a, you know, a gay couple holding hands in town, it's, it's almost the talk of the town. It's, oh, my God, what's this? Two men holding hands. Like, he's the gay. Um, but, you know, kind of coming to Nor- Norwich and kind of seeing so much diversity, I've learned so much. You know, even being queer myself, there's still so many different identities that I never had heard of and I've kind of reached out to people to be educated on. I mean, you know, something, a very big, big situation for me was I started university and I didn't think I was a feminist because from what I knew of feminism, it was those Nazi feminists that you see on TV, the ones that, you know, down with all men, they should be in the gutter, they should, you know, they should Mm. not exist actually coming to Norwich and, and meeting students that have come from different backgrounds and different levels of understanding I've come to a completely different realization and understanding of feminism and, and now I'm kind of a big loud feminist because I realize <laughs> I was wrong and I'll tell you what that's a really lovely link to oh my goodness it seems so long ago now so <laughs> I think episode five uh, when I talked to the wonderful Katie Water, who who does some work on uh, feminist geography. So she's a geography teacher herself and does a lot of feminism through her geography teaching. And we actually had a really good discussion about how at one stage, even the word feminism was a dirty word, you know, where where there's someone would turn around and say, are you a feminist? Like, no, I'm not a feminist, not a feminist. Well, do you think women should have equal rights and have a autonomy in, in their bodies? And yeah, of course I do. Cool. You're a feminist then. Mm. I don't want to go too much into this, but we re- we've reclaimed that word 
as feminists. I'm really worried at the current trend of of almost this hyper extreme feminism that's mm-hmm. coming out of the woodwork with regards to like gender crit- criticalism and things like that. But I, I guess the point I'm trying to get there is that even those kind of movements are diverse in in their extremes as well. Of course, right. But yeah, you're absolutely spot on, like coming up to Norwich and, and, and places like that and going to visit places around the world, talking to people on this podcast. It's just reevaluating, reassessing, you know, um, the wonderful beauty and the diversity that we have. So, um, yeah, let's move on then to, because you've made mention already, you know, which is your ge- gender and your sexuality, which, you, which you're very open about. So mm-hmm. um, as you said at the top, so you, you identify as uh, non-binary pansexual. So... We'll, we'll compare notes to that in a minute. So for those people who are non-binary is kind of a, a thing which is becoming more and more visible. What does non-binary mean to you? Because I know that it, that in itself is diverse and it means different to different non-binary people. I think for me, it just feels like home. Um, growing up, I never really, you know, I kind of looked at the girls with their makeup and their skirts and I thought, I don't really like that. And I looked at the boys with kind of baggy trousers and their laddishness, and I thought, I don't really like that either. But, you know, growing up in a woman's body, I thought, actually, I, I have to be with the girls. I have to wear a skirt. I have to do the makeup. I have to have long hair. And I kind of came to university, and I had a little reevaluation, and I had a Google search to try and think, maybe, you know, maybe it isn't just me that feels a little bit like they don't fit in with either category. I found the term non-binary and I thought, that fits. That feels like a group of people that I can put myself with and go, ah, this works. And it just, it gives me that freedom to wear baggy trousers one day and baggy hoodie and be one of the lads or to wear a skirt and makeup another day and be a woman. But no, at the end of the day, I'm not in either category. I'm me and I define that the way I choose to. Mm. I think the vast majority of the human population is, mo- is non-binary. The the whole masculine, feminine, hypermasculine, hyperfeminine, you know, these these kind of cultural boxes that exist, you know, the more reading and more studies I've looked into, you know, they almost certainly have been not just a social construct, but I've I've read quite a fair bit about how they are a, a capitalist construct as well. And marketing as in this is for boys and this is for girls, and then did it in such a way where it was it seemed to be you know, the the deemed thing that if you're a gendered as a boy these are the kind of things that you would wear if you gender and it was marketed like in that kind of sense um look it up everybody and you know do go onto twitter and 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 tweet us to say oh yeah we've i found that article you're referring to found that discussion you're referring to because i need to find that again i don't bookmark this stuff because i read so much stuff <laughs> um but that was fascinating to me that i didn't realize that that you know we're coming from not just a cultural uh, societal thing sorry but also a a capitalist kind of way of thinking of it. It's insane, isn't it? And when you put it like that, it's, it's I mean, non-binary is almost a fight against capitalism, it's, isn't it? It's saying actually what you put in huh. magazines and in media doesn't define who I am. But actually, you know, you hear of children growing up, not fitting in their clothes, not feeling comfortable in who they are. And that is all derived from somebody wanting to make money, you know, from boys being bullied at school mm. and skirts and, and vice versa. And I, I think that's just insane. I know it's similar with razors as well. Um, you know, obviously yeah. razors were invented for men, weren't they? Because, you know, they had beards and whatnot. And then they saw, well, actually, there's a gap in the market because women have body hair too. 
And so suddenly nowadays we have women who are incredibly insecure if they have an odd eyebrow hair pop up or an awkward like, you know, set of armpit stubble. And women are kind of going to extreme measures to make their bodies smooth all because, you know, the standard of beauty changed because someone wanted to make money any kind of way of making money and now i'm talking to someone who's worked with economics and worked you know and had to do cost benefit analysis things like that when it comes to money and economics it's got to be a structure in place there's got to be a system in place which which says if you do x there's a formula x and y and z has got to be done or in this way this way shape form this mark you know in order to return a profit right so any way of making money whether it's selling a good marketing advertisement stuff like that has got to go through that capitalist formula. So it's this is not like some some woke conspiracy, you know. You've got to then say, okay, then because it's humans who run these structures and people are decision makers, and then you think about, okay, who are the people making the decision? Who are the people who are saying we can make money of this? Who are they having to use to generate that income, whether it's through exploitation or whether it's through whatever? then you've got to make ask those questions. So basically what I'm saying to everybody is, is, you know, engage in a bit of critical thinking. Why do these systems exist in the first place? So mm-hmm. um, why, why do we market it? Blue tractors to boys and pink fairies to girls. Why? Why? You know, that's the question you got to ask. Why do we? And they're all universal items, aren't they? Well, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, I've, I feel the same way about what you said about being non-binary. And in terms of geography, of course, there are so many examples of non-binary people and cultures out there. It's, I don't know where to start. I mean, what do you, what do you think about it? I mean, how, how can geography help people to explore the fact that there are non-binary people that are out there? Well, that's a very good question. I, I remember hearing, um, it's kind of when I was going through a phase of non-binary, you know, being non-binary, you are kind of exposed because it is, even though it's a thing that has existed for centuries, you know, because it's a term and we've we've and we've classed it, and there's a lot of vocal young people coming out as non-binary. Typically, it's an older generational thing to say, "Well, actually, hang on, bugger off," you know, <laughs> this doesn't exist for you. Um, what you did making it up? You're a boy or you're a girl, um, and I think actually geography helps us to remember that actually, you know, there are roots in non-binary it's just there wasn't a word for it but i mean i hear of cultures across the world that i think i'm not too sure correct me if i'm wrong i'm pretty sure there's a culture that believes in kind of a two-spirited character who has both male and Mm -hmm. female right you're absolutely right there is a culture of the the two-spirit out there and uh, i would love for someone who who is two-spirit to come on and have a chat and, and educate us about what that means and what how how do us very reductionist westerners come to understand what that is you know one thing that i have um wrote about and researched about for the decolonizing geography group is that being gendered into one or the other is a colonial thing you know when we've gone around the world and and empires have spread around the world and they've got they've already got this societal structure you know where men are the decision makers they are the explorers they are the ones who are leading the country and then the women have got their own place in society and stuff like that and they go to these other places where it's a little bit blurrier you know or it's a matriarchal kind of society or things like that then then that seems to those seems to have disappeared a lot those those cultures and been colonized you know socially 
culturally very much you know it's it's very much the woman's role to stay at home and to to grow the capitalist population you know to grow the workers of tomorrow and it's the men that go off to work and earn the money and come back home and that's that's, you know that's how our society is built women don't get paid for staying at home and doing housework and looking after children which will you know kind of feed into the economy yeah and and again it's it's 2021 but we've got the situation that's happening in places like Texas right now you know it's it's still here this extreme patriarchal you know misogyny that's taking place in 2021 so, but I want to go back to something a bit more positive and that is mm-hmm. I you know the last episode the last last week I spoke to um Eli Ramos who's a, a Pinoy scientist who um has a Filipino background and is is non-binary themselves anyway everybody go and listen to that episode with me speaking to eli it's it's absolutely wonderful it's absolutely wonderful but just it's just another example of how someone from their own culture is just well we don't really have gendered terms that's (laughs) insane it just is so yeah go and listen to that everybody if not listen to anyone and eli's a great person and we talked a bit about theme parks as well which we're coming to in a minute (laughs) so um so yeah and i guess that leads quite naturally on to sexuality as well i mean Mm. Again, geography helps us to understand that there's a huge diversity with human sexuality. So you, so you identify as pansexual, and and I'm still questioning my sexual identity. I'm not sure whether I'm pansexual or bisexual or both. Or it's it's a term that's you said that people are getting used to non-binary. <laughs> but what what how how do you how do you how do you say pansexual? What does pansexual mean to you? Um, I think a really easy way is is that, you know, I'm, I'm attracted and I want to, um, you know, I care for somebody no matter their genitals, you know, no matter their gender identity or their sexuality. I'm attracted to people based off their personalities and appearances rather than what they have in their pants, essentially. Hmm. Um, but I think that is a, an age-old debate between pansexuals and, um, pansexuals and bisexuals even is, you know, pansexuals is attracted to to anybody, and as such, um, bisexuals typically bi means two, which means male and female. And there is very much a debate in the community of whether bisexuals include non-binary people, um, yeah. because bi typically says two. And I think that's really tricky to untangle, isn't it, and try and understand mm. the difference between. I'm sure you're having that problem yourself. Yeah, and I, th- I don't, and this is not a confusion, or you know, a, a, the fact that oh, that you've got this whole group of people who are just like don't know what they're on about it's it is a completely natural human thing to be questioning our own identities and to figure things out and it's Mm -hmm. it's an example of course of how labels are inadequate um as well so um and that the one of the main reasons why we use labels is is to help other people understand where we are to make them feel comfortable completely it's not about ourselves is it really it's it's um finding a home and i mean uh, you know, an interesting way to take on geography is to think, you know, we're born in a in a heterosexual world where, you know, we're assumed straight and we're assumed, you know, in our own gender. And actually, that's something that we need to break down from birth too, because you think of all these children that have grown up not fitting in their own gender and their own sexuality that they're assigned. And, you know, you have a few blessed that have grown up in a very supportive family and maybe understand from a very early age. Mm. But I'm sure a lot of us have grown up, you know, waiting until our teenage years before we finally understand 
our sexualities and our gender and then we have to do a whole coming out and then we have to really understand and explain ourselves and justify ourselves and I think Mm. that's something that actually geography can support us with can help us to understand you know these social relationships with sexuality and gender begin to break these down. I've spoke to quite a few guests about you know human connections with for example nature um, and one of the most beautiful discussions I had, I was very, very fortunate to have, was um, with um, the actor Adil Hussain uh, for episode 14, who, who, was, um, who was in Life of Pi and done quite a lot of, of, of movies, especially over there in India. And he, was, he gave this exceptionally profound um, story about how he used to uh, go to this place and he was at this place for three years and every single meal time he would sit and have his food and he would just stare out on the landscape but there was just one rock that he used to fixate on because and then he later found out that that rock was one of the oldest rocks in the world like to like over three almost four billion years wow. old and somehow he had this kind of resonant connection to it like deep connection to it and he's he's had these kind of similar things like you know connections with tree he he thinks of trees as our primordial grandmothers he described them which is beautiful such a beautiful thing and and the kind of sense and then when the way i have been linking that to things like for example gender identity is that okay you know at the end of the day we we are from the earth that's how we've we've come right through evolution we are from the earth so we're going to find we have this innate connection to nature and to the environment of course that's why so many of us are suffering from for example eco-anxiety and and through environmental degradation our environment is being destroyed and that's causing massive problems you know a crisis in mental health because of we're losing this connection with the land so if that's the case now you think of all these examples in nature where you've got animals and creatures which are not binary sex can change sex you know (laughs) if that can happen in nature in terms of in terms of the fluidity of of of, of, of just sex, mm-hmm. then surely the fluidity of gender, which is a social construct, leaving sex aside now, surely that's going to be present in us humans as well, since we are from the earth. So putting us into these two binary boxes, it seems inhuman. It seems unnatural. Mm-hmm. So that's how I would link this all to the world and link it to geography. That's a wonderful connection, isn't it? I think I think that's uh, so valid, and it is very much, you know, I feel like it's probably something that dif- you know started off that way, and actually, you know, we looked at humans. I'm sure at the very beginning, based on our physical capacities, rather than, you know, what's in our pants and whatnot. <laughs> um, and it is, you know, as as we grow up and as industry kicks in, it's very much when when we are separated into these categories and where the problems begin, isn't it? Yeah. And I and I don't I don't have enough knowledge and understanding and depth of authority to to kind of say well yeah this is because this is because this is because and everything I've said so far everybody is either through what I have read so far or quoting someone else and and there are probably lots of holes to pick up so yeah if you want to come on and 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 tell us a little bit more and, and help us explore more please get in touch it'll be amazing. yes please challenge yeah. us educate yeah, us yeah. that's what, yeah. what science is about isn't it it's about science. learning and being challenged <laughs> right okay i'm really excited for this next bit now Ro, because there are going to be lots of people uh listening who are going to be in the same boat here and it's one of those wonderful things now where it's becoming less and less stigma stigmatized of being what's this term is everybody's getting used to now being neurodivergent so kind of i mean i i I tend to think of neurodivergence as 
oh, I don't know. How can I say this tactfully? Because <laughs> I believe I'm neurodivergent as well. Got got some quirks of the mind where you know where that. they seem yeah the quirks of the mind which which are not not always negative you know they could be positive and they could be fun as well being being autistic then nothing to be afraid of nothing to be stigmatized about you're proudly autistic so mm-hmm. let, let's fly the flag for autistic people now for uh what what what's how does it i don't know people there's this whole thing going around isn't it about how it's a superpower do you do you agree mm. with that do you think do you think it's a superpower do you think nah that's a gimmick but what, what what is it what is it to you i think that's a very good question so so i kind of I grew up always thinking I was a little bit different. You know, I never really fit in. I, I didn't get class. You know, I, I didn't get the best grades. I did take longer um, understanding things. So growing up, you know, even through university, I didn't I didn't know I was autistic. I just thought I was stupid and dumb and, and somehow just getting oh. by. Um, and, of course, that's, that's very lonely and a very scary world to be in. Um, and actually, you know, it was only about a year ago now that, that you know, I kind of approached – a therapist and they said well actually we're pretty sure you're autistic um and and it's just really revolutionized it's just kind of flipped the world the right way up as i'd like to say um and of course you know of course it has its challenges because this world is inherently not built for autistics you know it's it's built very much for able-bodied mm. neurotypical people um so of course there's some downsides and challenges but especially in, in the roles that i work in within science it's incredible. You know, I have this completely different mindset to everybody else. And, and science and STEM is all about approaching things from different angles and having curiosity and, and passions and, and questions. And being autistic, where you see the world from completely different points of view, allows you to come in with like the most creative and exceptional mindset. This is this is what we're going to this is what we're going to do now. I've got the NHS um, website uh, up here about mm-hmm. autism, and this what you're going to do for us, bro. You're going to back back at so because this is an author this is an authoritative website about you know medical medical stuff like that. But you're going to back back and say, okay, that may be true, but this benefits me in this way, or this, or I've used it as a as a in a positive this way because I I, I always it. like to see the positive. Let's do it right. So there are six bullet points. And the first one says, or, and, and it does stress, autistic people may, yeah, autistic people may. Autistic people may find it hard to communicate and interact with other people. So you would say to that, that may be true, but I can use that as... Yeah, so it's definitely true. I mean, you know, for example, I just don't get sarcasm at all. It flies right over my head. And, you know, I'm still working very hard to see that as a positive. But it means, again, that I approach communication in different ways. And actually, I think my communication is more accessible working within science communication. It's essential that you make communication as accessible as possible. You know, you can't speak like a scientist would typically do anyway. You can't use big, complex words that an autistic like me couldn't <laughs> understand anyway. So I've had practice from day one of identifying what parts of the language doesn't click with my mind. So it means when I go and communicate big, scary topics to someone else, I already know the language I need to speak in. I love that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, okay, so the second bullet point is find it hard to understand how people think or feel. Oh, that's a very good one. I think that is very, you know, a typical autistic trait because, you know, autistics typically may, may, may might understand each other, but 
oh, because our brains work so differently. Actually, it's, it's typically hard to understand neurotypicals. Um, mm. Yeah, so I do think that's a very good point. I'm struggling to think of something at the moment, if I'm honest. That's okay. Yeah, no, I mean, this, I mean, as I say, it's it's very, very clear that this is not the case of every single autistic person. It could be, it could, it, and it's all on a spectrum, so it could be a tiny bit or not <laughs> yes. at all. It's very much a sliding scale. This one I identify with, and that is finds things like bright lights or loud noises overwhelming, stressful, uncomfortable. And that's it's not just loud noises for me. It's also repetitive noises. Um, I, I I get railed very, very easily with certain noises um mm-hmm. but yeah it's i'm not quite sure how that, how i would turn that into a into a into a power or a positive <laughs> i don't know if you have any ideas i think i mean i i'm i'm very much in the same boat as you i'm very easily overloaded with lights and noise and touch and different experiences um and and growing up not knowing autism and not understanding that's a real thing you know I'd come out of shopping centers or even you know on trips to Disney World I'd come home and I'd be crying because it was just too much for me um and of course growing up that was definitely felt like a negative I didn't understand it but nowadays yes of course it can be really challenging and really overwhelming but it also allows me to see the magic in the world you know I can go out in the forest where everything is quiet and because I'm super sensitive to senses you know i can pick up on birds miles away i can spot little creatures hiding you know away in the in in the brushes thinking that they're hidden away from humans but actually superhumans like us who have incredibly peculiar senses (laughs) can see the magic in the world that most humans would completely oversee because they live life normally oh i love that isn't that a nice spin that's made me feel so so warm you know yeah it's tough isn't it it can be really hard it really can and i think one of the things um for me is i it's oversensitive to it's also touch for me as well um where it's which is a really really weird one because because you people might say oh was that just your skin or your nerves or something it's like well not really it's mm, it's so hard to explain but if I was to kind of like feel something like it would be a bark, the, the bark on a tree or a leaf or something like that, you know, I, I, I can really, really, really almost like a, you know, a 3d scanner kind of thing, you know, it, it can really feel every pore and every bump and, 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 and it's really bizarre and, and touch can be quite overwhelming to me sometimes as well. Um, so everything from sometimes it's a case of, I don't want someone to kind of like touch me. It's not that, it's not always that and actually very rarely it's not that at all it's more of a case if i run my hand over something like two services can look almost identical but if i but if i run my hand over it i can definitely tell the difference between yes yes i know exactly what you're talking about like yeah, i've explained it's just, it now <laughs> no you've got it completely right even like when you go clothes shopping i mean it, it's very typically a woman's thing isn't it you can kind of feel a texture mm. or something go oh no i really like that but i don't now because it feels awful <laughs> yes yes yeah exactly oh well everybody i hope you're two things i hope we've done for you like either one if you feel you've got these kind of things these traits about you you're like oh okay and we've reframed them for you maybe you maybe maybe you are or you're not 
artistic at all, but maybe you have these kind of things where you do find and sounds annoying, but we've rephrased it for you. So perhaps the next time you do go out to a forest or, or even just a, a field where the wind is blowing just a tiny bit and you can just hear that, you almost hear the, you almost hear the sea, even you're in the yes. middle of a field because of the way that the wind blows through those, uh, you know, the grass or the way the wind blows through those crops. It sounds like you're at the beach. It sounds like, mm-hmm. you know, and if you, this doesn't make sense, we've given you an idea about what it feels like, what it's like. Um, oh, completely. Yeah. And we've linked it into to nature, which is yes. <laughs> oh. See, talking about autism and we feel really good about it. That's what we're here to do. It's definitely a very stigmatized. I mean, you know, when you think of autistic people, you think of Sheldon Cooper and so many, (laughs) there's so many villains on TV. What's it? Grey's Anatomy, one of them doctor's shows and and the main character is 100% autistic. And they're they're usually very insensitive. There are always white cis men that are just insensitive (laughs) and and insanely (laughs) clever. And I think important things about autism is actually showing that it's, it's not just white cis insensitive intelligent men you know i mean one of the reasons why i got so late diagnosed was because that's all that we see of autism that's all that we think of it as and it's important um as much as you can to be proud of your diversities whether that's autism you know queer identities or or something else it's important that you're loud and proud you need to show that it's a superpower you need to demonstrate to people that it's not just this one idea that you see on tv and it, it helps other people feel at home yeah and uh, and this what I hope this podcast is doing is that is that somebody somebody listening will identify with some part of someone mm-hmm. and think to myself I may you know I may not be for that person but I identify with that particular part of their experience or that particular part of their culture or that particular part of their of their identity and that's the whole point is to demonstrate we have connections even if yes. we're completely different people and yeah so thank you Ro that that's that's yeah, that's wonderful. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna move on now because I think that I can't I don't want to add on ruin the mood now. That's fine. <laughs> um, but you mentioned loud and proud, so this is a really good thing to so two a couple more things to talk about before we run out of time. Then one is that you um you know you said here that if if you see a geographer as a bonkers old man, then perhaps you may consider me as an art student. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You love punk rock, sweaty concerts, all that. So you skateboard and climb um (laughs) and you have piercings and tattoos and there's one particular tattoo that you have and your job right i'm I'm gonna what i'm gonna do now everybody is that i haven't played the jazz tune for um, a lot uh, recently because i usually do it when we do quizzes right and the last time i did it was with sebastian stone we did the flag quiz which was way too long ago so um and while that's going on ro is going to describe you there roller coaster themed tattoo and you've got to picture it in your head right row okay off you go then for people who can't see us describe us your roller coaster themed tattoo okie dokie so i've had to whip it out just to make sure that i remember <laughs> it correctly so it's on the back of my very hairy calf um it is a diamond shaped and Ooh. it's a scene of uh, a mountain so the sky is like a very vivid blue there's a, a sun slash a moon in the corner and underneath the sky there is an outline of a mountain um, and it's very detailed and underneath the mountain there's some trees and most people would look at that a diamond tattoo blue sky uh, mountain ranges and think oh that's a very very typical tattoo you know somebody's got something like that somewhere else in the world 
but then just in the left-hand corner, mm. tucked between two parts of the mountain, is this very thin set of roller coaster track. And I, every time I point it out, people are pleasantly <sighs> surprised to spot it. And it is based off um, Disney's Expedition Everest, which is a ride about going through the mountains, oh. Mount Everest, and trying to find the Yeti. Awesome. Okay. I when you first started talking, I was like, Space Mountain, you know, Splash Mountain. I was like <laughs> one of the unexpected ones. Yeah, I don't that might have been a bit I have been to Disney World since nineteen ninety two was the last time I went to Disney World. I would have been ten Gosh. years old. <laughs> wow. So yeah. You say that you're obsessed with theme parks. You like the magic behind the mouse. You like yes. understand the different types of theme park, you know, roller coaster restraints. And you've just described your roller coaster tattoo. So then, what is it about theme parks then? I mean, what do you love about them? And why did you do your whole bleeding study on the last year's study on it? <laughs> so uh, this is not true of all autistics, but it is for me. Is I, I have a special <laughs> interest and I, I find a lot of comfort in learning about theme parks, whether that's kind of the history behind them and why they've been built all the way through to kind of track elements and roller coaster restraints which is very helpful when my friends are nervous of roller coasters and I can tell them that it's impossible to get stuck upside down <laughs> but then I moved that into my final year so this is when you know I spent the first two years of my degree I thought science was very monochromatic I thought I had to do chemistry to be an official scientist I came back from my placement year which I thought would be my dream job and I went no Hell no, that is not what I want science to be. And so I thought, actually, in my final year, I want to make it fun. Um, and I thought, I'm going to combine the two things I love, which is social studies and theme parks. And I mashed them together and I got the best results of my whole degree ever, uh, which is fantastic. And one of my favorite things that I looked at was um, I studied the very uh, insensitive history behind Disney's Splash Mountain. <sighs> Okay. Which I think is, is quite unexpected. And actually, without geography, you probably wouldn't understand why Disney's recently chosen to retheme it. Okay, now Splash Mountain was one of my favourite rides. Uh-oh. <laughs> I could never get I could never get that song out of my head, you know, Jolly Good Chores, you're bomb. You know, as you're going around. <laughs> right, yeah? So, no, no, please destroy my reality now, right? So do, do it, do it. Continue with this. I'm ready. I prepared myself. Are you sure? Are you sure My you're ready? My childhood is about to be didn't... broken for the right reasons. <laughs> so, um, so Disney, um, before Splash Mountain, there was a movie. And before the movie, there was a set of books. Um, and I should have really reread my essay, but I can't remember who these books were based on. But they were very... Um, a very simplified, very glorified version of slave folk stories that were told on the plantation. And so what happened is that it was it was written by a white cis male um, and it was for kind of entertainment purposes. So obviously they took a lot of the folk stories which were shared between slaves as a way to kind of remember the treatment of them on the plantation. Um, and he, he very much took the nice bits of these stories um, and, and relayed those in his books. But then he typically left out some of the more cruel kind of brutal treatments of these slaves. 
Um, and so then what happened next, Disney saw these books, which was, you know, animal tales representing the treatment of slaves on the plantation. And they thought, we really like this. We want to put it into a movie. But there are still some very graphic scenes in this. Right. And so Disney took that, does what Disney does best, very much Disneyfied that, took the wonderful, lovely, fluffy stories and it kind of ignored the more tragic, yep. more real stories. And I think of a very kind of key note observation from this is it is, uh, centers around this main character called Uncle Remus, who is a former plantation slave. Mm-hmm. And one of the first opening lines of this of the movie is that he has only positive memories of slavery. And I think if that's not a key indicator of what Disney did... Um, and then essentially Disney then, you know, that, that movie did quite well in the box office. Although, interestingly, uh, the chap, the character who played Uncle Remus, he wasn't invited to the cinema, to the viewings, because at that time it was racial segregation. Yeah. Um, and Disney took that film and they made it into a hit ride. Um, and then interestingly, they lifted it even further from its roots of slave folk stories on the plantation, the brutal treatments of slaves, and they removed the character of Uncle Remus altogether, which kind of had any any original initial connection wow. to its, its you know origins. And um, Disney made the announcement of retheming the ride essentially during kind of when b- the Black Lives Matter protests kind of came big and came bold during the pandemic. Um, but they never really explained why. Um, so, uh, you know, what Disney should have done is they should have explained what they had done to oversimplify the, the brutal treatments of slaves and to glorify it and to make it into this fun ride. Um, but instead, they just kind of slapped on. They wanted to rebrand. They wanted to spice things up a bit. And, of course, that's just caused total uproar in the community because nobody knows about its history, as I'm sure you are now uh, <laughs> brutally um, changed. I'm sure the little kit has something to say about that. Well, that's mind-blowing. Um, mm. Absolutely. So, first of all, I have not watched Song of the South for a long time the last time i watched it actually was when i was my kid's age you know where it was just the awe and wonder the cartoon and whatnot so i have not looked at it through an adult lens (laughs) so and now with that that's going to be really really interesting to to see that again and wow yeah and i feel what is such a shame because walt disney as an institution they had such an opportunity to be a power and a force for good to say this is what we've done. This is the mistakes we've made up in the past. This is why we have changed it. And this is why it's important. You know, I, I, I cannot understand why massive cultural institutions like Walt Disney fail to be able to be, do that. It's simple, isn't it? It's what, what have they got to lose by, mm-hmm. by saying, this is why we've changed it. Have, you know, when you come out of the the ride or you go into the ride, there's some kind of thing you can explore to say, you know, this is actually the story behind Br'er Rabbit and this and whatever. I don't see why they can't do that kind of stuff. You know, theme parks can be educational in a positive sense as well. Of course. There was a 1977 um, paper by Lawrence Levine 
called Black Culture and Black Consciousness, Afro-American Folk Fought from Slavery to Freedom, right? And they described Br'er Rabbit as Br'er Rabbit represented the enslaved Africans who used their wits to overcome adversity and to exact revenge on their adversaries, the white slave owners, you know? Um, and so I'm going to give that paper a read now from 1977, crikey, because, and, and then I'm going to dig a bit deeper into that. I'll put the link to, to that, um, everybody in the description. Um, that's thank you, Ro, for sharing that. That's incredible. And, and, it brings this conversation full circle now you know what we were saying about how reconnecting with things and and looking mm-hmm. behind the geography and the history behind things actually make you realize to ask those questions why so people like hopefully if people have listened Absolutely. not switched off and got fed up with us and have listened to us now all the way to the end they realize what we're now saying why have they done this why why has it been framed that way why is the story being told this way who's telling the story whose t- story are they not telling who you know Go through that critical thinking procedure. Is finding this out about Song of the South and Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Frogs going to s- smash your child? No, for me, perhaps this is just me. It gives it deeper meaning to, for me. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I enjoy it less, but at least now I can understand where it's come from. Of course, yeah. So, wow. Thank you so much, Ro. That's, and I think I've got to go back and do my environmental <laughs> science degree again now. I think I did it all wrong. <laughs> It's amazing, isn't it, when you realise the whole diversity within geography and environmental sciences, how it looks at everything in the world. This is what I tell people. It looks at everything in the world. So why not do it on the thing that you love? You know, don't do it on maps or or physics or maths (laughs) just because that's what you think it is. Find find a way to magic it into what you love because that's how we learn about new things like, you know, Disney's secret past that they're just not telling us about. And I love the way you just said that. You didn't say it's not just, you know, don't do map maps because, and you said it, you did it the right way. You said, because that's what you think it is. Of course, if you mm-hmm. want to do maps because that's what you want it to be, because you love maps, then obviously go for it. Go for it. We need uh, yeah. map people. Oh, I love maps. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. You know, make it what you want it to be is what we're saying. Yeah. Oh, right. God, yeah. Have fun with it, right? Have fun with it. Right. Are you ready for your last challenge now, Ro? Let's go for it. I've got a few more brain cells. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the final part of the podcast um, is when we get everybody linked together by a little thing called We Are All Geographers. So last episode, as we already mentioned, wonderful, wonderful, Eli. Fantastic discussion. Everybody, please do listen to that. And they came up with a really interesting word for you, Ro, to try and link to geography or geographical processes or however you so wish. And that is the word cryptid <laughs> as far as i'm aware it's something to do with like the supernatural like uh ghosts and, and yetis and, and something like that right we can go with this so we've got to try and link this to jog Fero. so because you have only 30 seconds to riff <gasps> as much as you so wish start whenever you're ready and i'll start the timer okay so we're gonna go now so in terms of a cryptid I think we'd, we could be looking at mythical creatures, say, like the Yeti, um, and geography would help us to connect to different communities who have maybe spotted something like the Yeti or the abominable snowman, as it likes to be called, um, <laughs> and actually try and understand, you know, where these visualizations have come from. Uh, we can also go back to kind of mythical and folk tales as well and try and understand the derivatives of the names and the types of these characters here as well. I think that's about all I've got for you. <laughs> 
Oh my word, that 30 seconds. No, that's great. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. And there's almost there's always more than you could probably say because you get into the flow of it toward like yes. about 20, 25 seconds. You're like, okay, now I've got it. And then here come the clinics. Like, oh crud, time's up. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one, Eli. Thank you. Yes. Thank yeah, you. Eli, you, you smashed. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, I've done this. I used to do this with year seven kids, sixth graders, you know, trying to challenge. So, you, you know, you need to come up with a word that you can't link to. I can't link to geography. And of course, it's it's a, it's a fool's it's a fool's game. Um, but that is probably the first time since I've done that in almost 20 years where I'm a bit like, uh, I need to think this one a bit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so hey any year sevens listening if you when you go into your first geography lesson say right can you link the word correct to, to your geography teacher see what they do anyway <laughs> nailed it right you get to turn the tables now and now there's only one more guest for this season um oh. before before we take a break so you get the the absolute honor of giving our final word for season one, because our next guest will give give a word for the start of season two. So you're gonna you're gonna set the challenge for the final word for season one. So what would it be, Ro? Well, I was I think the word that I've come up with, I feel like the final episode of season one deserves something glorious and exciting. <sighs> and and you know, this is your first season and you've done so oh. well. And actually, oh. the word that I've come up with is maybe the quite opposite of it. It's a bit of a, oh, it's a bit of a downfall, really. Um, but I'm sticking <laughs> with it purely because it is ten o'clock at night, and I feel that this is a good <laughs> word. And I'm going to go for toenail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, no, um, that's not and. That, no, not anticlimactic. That's not the word I'm going for. That was yeah, oh, plot twist. Deflating. That was a plot twist. Yes. We'll go for that one. <laughs> oh no, that's fantastic. No, this is fantastic. No, the last time I had sort of a similar reaction to that was when Hannah Hannah Bloomfield actually came up with the word. She just went uh, trampoline. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we'll go with trampoline. So Let's do it. no, brilliant. In fact, okay. So everybody, are you ready? I know. I know we've gone a little bit over time here, but you know we're coming towards the end. You can have a break soon. You can have a break soon. One more episode, maybe two, if you're lucky. If I'm going to do something special for you all, here's the <laughs> words we've had so far. Right, in order: poetry, Battle of Hastings, hope, challenge, feminism, faith, trampoline, paranormal, discombobulated, language, art, justice, spy, embodiment, elusive, plants, music, contrast, friendship, everyday, squirrels, impossible. <laughs> purpose lens invasive cryptid and now toenail <laughs> i think that's the perfect voice for toenail i mean it's it's almost october isn't it it's almost spooky season no we can't i can't yeah. justify toenails other than it is late at night <laughs> no it's perfect it's perfect we're not changing it right okay right so um people people absolutely there are so many people out there like love to connect with you now after this chat, surely. So how um, would people be able to get hold of you and talk some theme park and geography geekiness with you? So where's the best place to find you? Oh, find me on Twitter. Let's go for it. So my Twitter username is Proctor, P-R-O-C-T-E-R underscore Ro, R-O. That's it. Yep. 
give me a follow Wonderful. drop me a message i'm super down to chat we can talk about anything autistic queer degrees you know career paths anything and everything i'm down let's let's go for it what's not to love everybody what's not to love <laughs> yeah perfect and is there anybody you want to say give a big hello to we always you got to do that in a podcast anyone who say hi because oh. then what you do you just turn and say hi i mentioned you on the podcast now you need to listen to it <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know the first people I'm going to be sending the podcast to is my mum and dad. I'm very lucky that they've Aww. always been number one supporters since day one. And they have been there every step of the way to believe in me, despite not going to university themselves. Actually, they've been the ones that I practice my science communication skills on, you know, not being experts in science. <laughs> it was up to me to come home wow. at the end of the day and explain what maths and physics and chemistry is. So, I mean, I think the biggest people I have to thank is my parents. So shout out to mum and dad and then everybody in Norwich Science Festival and everyone at Youth STEM too, because you best believe it'll be going up on those socials amazing yeah rose mum and dad you're amazing parents <laughs> you've got one lovely child here and two of you brought into the Aww. world and you know the, the the work that we've work that we've done so far you know on the on the uh the pride and high aspirations podcast chat which again everybody check that out in the description you know and then the bits and bobs we've done with each other for uea and there's some bits and bobs i'm gonna um chase you up about which i think you're gonna enjoy taking part of and yeah and I'm just so looking forward to continue to collaborate and work with you. And then we'll go we'll, we'll go in the Scholars Bar and we'll have a nice tipple. Let's do it. I'm so ready for that. <laughs> this has been so much fun. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you, everybody, for listening to it. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> yes. We'll let you go now. You're released. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.